Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. I invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 22. And as they're making their way out, um, they also mentioned that we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, this new series is rooted in the Ten Commandments. It's called the Second Tablet. And that Second Tablet looks at Commandments 5 through 10. I'm not sure if we kind of remember the Ten Commandments, if you've been here for the last uh, number of years. Uh, we did look at the Ten Commandments for a time in 2019, but we only covered the first four, uh, so now we get to go back to that. But on this first Sunday, we're not going to be uh, necessarily looking at any specific commandment, but reminding ourselves of this posture that we take in going to the commandments, that these commandments actually direct us and guide us into free living. Uh, throughout the series, we're going to also not just stay in the, in the Old Testament, we're going to root ourselves in this Exodus passage, uh, but we're also going to see how the New Testament expands on these different commandments, how they expand on how we are to live in the freedom that God gives us. Another helpful tool in looking at the Ten Commandments is the Heidelberg Catechism, and we've already looked at that. Uh, briefly this morning in our, um, in our confession and assurance. Uh, but just for people that don't know what the Heidelberg Catechism is, uh, this was a document that was written in the 1500s, and it was made to instruct children on what is in the Bible. So when you look at it, you will find scattered throughout it all these different uh, Bible verses that it um, is based on. And here I just have a picture of it. Let's see if my slides are working right now. Yes. All right. So I have a, a picture just quickly of... I, tr I tried to scan it, but my phone scanning skills are limited. Uh, so the whole catechism is in different questions and answers. And here we have a question, and then it responds to that question. And throughout it, it will have all these little footnotes... And those point towards the scripture that it's, that it's referencing. So they're not just coming up with these answers on their own. And I have a copy uh, that actually points out all these scriptures. Uh, and I encourage you, as you look through the, the Heidelberg Catechism alongside this series, to check out what are in those scriptures, what is behind the teachings that they're encouraging us in. And if you're thinking, I don't have the Heidelberg Catechism, like sitting at home, um, you're in luck. If you have a phone or a computer, um, all you have to do is type out in Google or wherever you like to search, um, HC, you don't even have to know how to spell Heidelberg, um, HC, and I like to type in CRCNA, so uh, Christian Reformed Church of North America, Get those oh, five, seven letters in, and it will take you to, let's see, if I type these in in Google, it will take me to this page. I get the Heidelberg Catechism, Christian Reformed Church, and it's right there in its entirety. And you can see here, if 
I don't know if I can zoom in a little bit, uh, but the Ten Commandments are right there. It's part of the structure right there near the bottom under a section called gratitude. So it's part of our grateful living, and you don't even have to scroll down and find it. You can just click on gratitude. It'll take you right there. Um, so I encourage you, as we're going through uh, the series in the Ten Commandments, to check out what is in uh, the catechism and how can it help us in understanding um, how we are to respond in grateful living. I think I'm back to, yes, it worked. All right. Um, with that being said, uh, let's turn to Matthew 22 first. Um, again, that can be found on page 1,535. Uh, afterwards, we're going to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and that can be found on page 118. Before reading, let's turn to God in prayer. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us on a level path. Teach us, O Lord, to follow your decrees, and then we'll keep them to the end. Give us understanding, and we will keep your law and obey it with all our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in there... We have that summary statement. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. So let's now look back at what some of that law looks like and read the Ten Commandments as they are in Exodus. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship to them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male servant or female servant, not your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about freedom. Uh, so the, the title for our series is The Second Commandment, Freedom Two. And each, each different message is going to look at how each commandment directs us towards a different freedom to something else. So I thought we would think, okay, what are our understandings of freedom? And I went to Google and just went to Google Images and saw what came up when I typed out freedom. And here are a couple of images that were there. Uh, the first, we begins with shackles being broken. There was another one of a, a bird being freed from a cage. Uh, both of these images give the sense that freedom is the removal of barriers. It's the removal of restrictions. Uh, there were other types of images. Some of them went with the opposite direction showing the opposite of freedom is coercion or being subjected to others. Here we have the people just as puppets. They are not free to act as they will. Or another image of freedom being, to being able to say whatever you like. You don't have any restrictions in your speech. Again, freedom in that vision is a removal of barriers to be free is to have no restrictions. Uh, lastly, I'll, just a couple more images are these images of freedom, not just the removal of barriers, but following our heart's desires, going wherever we want. As long as we have those restrictions down and we can walk where our hearts lead us, then we are free. Looking at all of those images, there's two questions I want us to have in our minds. The first, do these pictures, does this kind of snapshot of our cultural definitions of freedom, does that give a full definition of what freedom is for us? And second, what do you need to experience freedom? What, what do we need? Do we just need a removal from our barriers, or do we need something more? Uh, we're going to return to that question, so keep that one in mind. Now, we're going to be looking at that word freedom throughout the Ten Commandments because often when we look at commandments, we look at these rules that are there for us, we kind of think that it might be the opposite, that there's just these legalistic rules that, that cage us in. They're to stifle life. They, they, they get rid of any sort of fun and enjoyment that you have. Uh, a question that I heard last time we did the series on this was, why do we still look at the Ten Commandments? That's, that's Old Testament stuff. Aren't, aren't, we, aren't we done and kind of past that when we get into the New Testament? Well, and that, that very question assumes something about the Ten Commandments 
that, that they're a bit of a, a burden. We, we don't ask those types of questions about something that we, we like and we want to keep. We're thinking, well, these kind of seem unnecessary. Maybe we don't need them anymore. So over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at how each commandment actually is guiding us towards something good, that it guides us towards freedom. Um, for instance, do not murder. We can look at that simply as a restriction, but we're going to look at it from this, this other lens where we can think of a world where murder doesn't exist, where we are free from envy and malice and, and things that surface within us that leads us to act in ways of hatred, that we are free from being slaves to our own anger and called to the freedom of love towards another. Or we could look at do not steal. And we could see that this invites us to consider a world where, where we don't want to take the things that other people have, but instead we live in a world of generosity where we see that God has given us so much and that we can give part of that back to others in sharing rather than stealing. The idea of law bringing freedom is it, not something original to, to this. This makes its way into the New Testament at many different parts. If you look in the Psalms, for instance, you'll find the psalmist often talks about meditating on God's law because it's good and it brings life. You can look at Psalm 119 particularly to, to show you that the, these laws that God brings are there for freedom. The, this idea of the laws bringing freedom also comes directly in relationship to the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments show up in two different places in the Old Testament. First, where we just read in Exodus chapter 20, uh, but then they show up again in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And right after saying the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, God says this to the people. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Uh, the, these, these commandments are there so that it will go well, not just for them, but for their children. This will bring long-lasting peace that they can experience the joy and delight that they were meant to in God's good creation. And we find that this isn't just the Old Testament, but this is in the New Testament as well. Uh, we just read in Matthew chapter 22 that the summary of all of the laws and the prophets be summarized in this one word of love. Love God and love towards your neighbor. What, what, what summarizes what all of these laws point towards is their fulfillment, is in loving. There's this positive action that we are meant to live for. If people love freely and fully, they have no need for these extra laws. It's only for people who are stuck in the bondage of sin that need these extra guides to guide them to the good and free life. So now, in order to talk about the Ten Commandments and freedom, 
I think we need to expand our, our definition of what freedom is. We, we looked, first of all, that kind of cultural definition is that cage. So that's my, I tried to draw a good cage there. And in our cultural definition, it's just the removal of that cage. If we have no restrictions, then we will be truly free. Uh, but I think we need to add something to that. We need a little plus sign. We need to also not just have the absence of restrictions, but we need to be free for something so that you can act on whatever desires you have. You need to be able to live into a life of joy and love and delight. It's not just about freedom from, but freedom for, directing us towards good life. Now, to get a better sense of this, um, there's an example, and that is one of someone with addiction. So we just think of someone who's addicted to alcohol, for example. Now, now suppose we're only thinking this in terms of freedom from something, that, that they just need no restrictions. If, if this person um, has enough wealth, has enough money to buy alcohol, and that there are stores nearby where he can buy it, and that they can drive there or walk there, then we could say that this person is free. If there's no barriers, that's all that they need. But, but the very nature of addiction is that their, their actions actually don't drive them towards their truest desires. Their actions don't bring this joy and life and love. The elimination of barriers we can still see that in the midst of that, this person is profoundly unfree. They cannot free themselves. They're bound to an addiction. And in order to regain freedom, this person needs something added to it. They need someone to come and help them, to come alongside them. They need healing, they need support, they need help from outside themselves to drive them towards wholeness. And this isn't just freedom from something, it's not just the removal of barriers, but freedom for something, to live towards this flourishing and happiness that they were meant for. And this is the type of freedom that we need to be thinking of when we look towards the Ten Commandments. Look at what we have in the beginning of the Ten Commandments here in Exodus chapter 20. God has just rescued them in the earlier parts of Exodus from Egypt and from slavery. And that reminder is given here right in the beginning where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So we see there's already a freedom from. The restrictions of Pharaoh and, and the armies and everything, that's been removed. But now they still need more in order to be truly free. They've been taken out of the place of slavery, but they still need to be able to deal with the barriers within themselves that they create. They have to have something more true that's guiding them than their own desires. Otherwise, they'll get stuck in those same patterns that they experienced in Egypt. They will still have lives that are fulfilled or a society that is filled with murder and theft and lying 
and, and coveting other people's things. And that stays true for us today. We need to have something that lifts us out. Uh, we live in a society that's driven by consumerism. Uh, we're a people that have our identities driven by following our own desires. Whether it's the ability to buy the things that we want, or get the job that appeals to us most, or in our sexual preferences. We, we have become slaves to ourselves, trying to satisfy our own unending desires with our own achievements by the things that we do. And the most freeing thing that we can actually do in a society like this isn't to, to look deeply within ourselves, uh, but to see that we need help. We need someone to draw us out of that. And this sort of reflection on freedom is nothing new. Christians have looked at these passages and have reflected that we need freedom from our sin, that we have this natural tendency towards sin. Uh, someone that has reflected on this probably most influentially um, was a, a pastor by the name of Augustine who lived in the fourth century. Um, he had to think about this so much because there was another pastor named Pelagius at the same time. And, and Pelagius was looking around and he was seeing all this sin and he was trying to motivate the people around him and saying, sin is such a big and powerful thing. What we need to do is look inwardly at ourselves and we need to defeat sin with our, our power, with our own strength, with our own resolve. And people were really excited about that because they were thinking, yeah, that's what we need. We need to overcome sin with our strength. But Augustine went in to correct that way of thinking. When, when he talked about sin, he talked about sin not in terms of overcoming it with power, uh, but he talked about sin in terms of weakness. Uh, when he used metaphors, he talked about sin as sickness, something that made him sick and unwell. And when he's talking about this, he's not just talking about other people's sins, he's talking about himself, how he is bound by sin. There's a line where he says that he is bound by the iron of his own choice. So that, that idea there, that, that the iron that is there is the own his own decisions that he's making are binding them, and he needs something to help him and rescue him and pull him out of that. Like the addict who needs to be freed from their false desires, Augustine says that his own inward desires towards sin bind him. Free from restrictions, if that's our whole definition of freedom, he is still too weak to lead what will bring true freedom. When he's talking to the Pelagians, he's saying, well, that's, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not about looking at your own strength to try overcome sin. The gospel is about recognizing that God has already come to deliver us. And of course, in doing so, he points towards Jesus. This is a teacher that was rooted in the scripture. And when we look at this language of freedom from sin, we can naturally point ourselves just to a couple weeks back where we celebrated Easter and Good Friday. 
Um, Good Friday, we can think of that in terms of this removal of the payment of sin. We can see Good Friday as this freedom from sort of thing. But then we also celebrated Easter morning and the resurrection and the new life that came with it. That we can look at as a freedom towards something else, that is God drawing us into that same new life. Now, in the Heidelberg Catechism that we talked about earlier, it introduces the the Ten Commandments on a section about genuine repentance. Uh, So this was something that was talked about last week, if you were here Uh, Pastor Bill was was standing up here, and he was talking about repentance in terms of you're doing something wrong, and you stop, and you go the other way. You go from that towards Christ. If you keep on returning back to that thing, you're still showing that you are a slave to whatever that was. It involved not just saying you're sorry, but a true repentance and a true conversion is walking that other direction towards Christ. And in doing so, when he was talking about that, he was referencing uh, Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 88, where it says that repentance and true conversion is the dying away of the old self and the rising to new. We can look at that in terms of freedom. The dying away of the old self, it is this removal of a false self that's caught up in sin and destruction, carrying envy and bitterness, this old self that doesn't know how to forgive others because it's too caught up in our own pride. It's dying to that self. It's freeing ourselves from that. But it doesn't stop there. It adds the second part, the rising to life of the new. And notice that's pointing us back to that Easter, this resurrection life. Uh, but it's still kind of ambiguous language. It's kind of more theology talk there of this rising to life a new self. So what does that actually mean? Uh, thankfully, the catechism um, talks about that. So I'm going to ask this question. I invite you to read the definition of what it means to rise to life of the new self. So question, what is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ, and the love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. Let's just look at the types of words that are used to describe. Oh, my pen's not working. I'm highlighting on here <laughs> the words wholehearted joy. Um, let's see if this will work. Wholehearted joy. Um, love and delight in there. Now, these words are, are kind of the, the opposite of maybe what our expectations might be towards the Ten Commandments. This is how the Ten Commandments are introduced. It's not slavishly carrying the weight of commandments to follow, but instead the, the words of rising to life are joy, love, and delight The new self is is liberated from the anxieties of feeling like we're not enough. The new self is free from the shame or guilt that we have, from not living how maybe we we would like to live. 
Rising to the new self in Christ is this joy-filled living, this delighting in our freedom to do every kind of good work through the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes I think that the Heidelberg Catechism, when we look at it, it's kind of mischaracterized as just this intellectual pursuit. When, when, when we look at an answer to what is um, conversion or repentance, we might expect to find these long, big words like justification or sanctification or some other kind of cation. But what we end up finding are these words of wholehearted joy, uh, that that Conversion is something that is meant to bring us the delight that we were made for in this world. And this is something that we have through Christ. So think back now to that question that I mentioned that we'd come back to. What do you need to experience freedom? looking at what we have looked at today. We don't simply need freedom from restrictions. It's not just about eliminating barriers and following wherever our heart desires. We just don't need a a rule-free life. Like the person living with addictions, we need something else. We need something added. We need someone to come alongside us and to help us out of our destructive behavior. We need to be set free from our own desires that take us the wrong way. We need to conform ourselves to God's will, to learn to desire what God desires. And that's why when God frees the people from Egypt, he doesn't just leave them on their own to do as they will. He gives them these words, these these Ten Commandments that give them direction They don't need to follow their wrong-headed desires that will lead them to murder, theft, adultery, lying, and more. They were to be directed in the type of freedom that lived towards true life. And that's how we're meant to read these Ten Commandments as Christians. We read them as people who are already saved. We don't have this list of things to follow so that then maybe we'll get to heaven. The Ten Commandments direct us instead to a way of living in the freedom that we already have in Christ. When Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments and more, he gives the affirmation that they are covered in this one word of love, the love of God and love of one another. And we do this not in our own strength, but in placing ourselves before God, before the one who is love and who shows us love. Um, In reflecting on this, a passage that came to me was from John 8, verse 31 and 32, where Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We're the kind of people who find freedom in knowing that truth, having that truth root us and guide us that we find true freedom in the midst of that. So the challenge that I want to leave you with as we're finishing up here and as we continue in our series is are we willing to abide in him? 
to allow God's grace to form us in a way that impacts our everyday living. I think it's, it's significant that we're, we're looking at this second um, set of commandments, and God, when he rescues them from Egypt, doesn't just send them out and says, this is how you do a worship service on Sunday morning. He gives, he equips them with laws and with rules that guide them in their everyday living. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll be exploring specific ways of how we're directed in this type of love. We're going to be invited to receive God's grace in different places of our lives, and we're going to look at how the New Testament doesn't negate these old laws, but invites us to a deeper consideration of what they point us towards. So whatever place you are in this morning, I invite you to consider, are you able to receive, to receive the love and the grace that Christ has to offer? Or are we too caught up in the spirit of individualism, wanting to do things on our own to be able to receive anything? We see in the cross and in the resurrection, freedom has already been won. So how then can we respond in grateful living? As we consider that, I invite you to turn to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these guides that you give for grateful living. That when you save your people, you don't just leave us to do what is right in our own eyes, but you give us a map towards flourishing, towards joy and delight and love. In the places where our hearts are hard, where we want to do things our own way, where we don't want to be told how to live, may we see that our attempts will leave us further trapped by ourselves. May we be able to receive what you have for us with grateful hearts, knowing and trusting that you don't just free us from sin, but equip us into a life where love is at the center. In the times where sin seems to stick to us, uh, where this freedom and this delight are hard to spot, give us patience and courage that we stand in need of to withstand the challenges that come our way. May we resist the temptation towards hatred and greed, resist the ways that sin tries to bind us back towards ourselves in the day-to-day. Grant us the strength that we need to stand firm in you, the one who brings our true freedom. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.